Thanks, Micah. Well, good morning. It's like the third time you guys have heard that. It is a good morning. We just keep, keep telling you it's a good morning. Um, before we get into the, into the text this morning, we're going to be in Galatians 5. You can go ahead and turn there uh, if you'd like. Uh, just some family news uh, around Crosspoint. Mike Collins, his brother, Dave, passed away on Wednesday evening after an extended battle with cancer. And so please, please, please be in prayer uh, alongside Mike and Wendy and their family as they grieve uh, the loss of his brother, Dave. Uh, Cameron Manning. Cameron, can you come up here? Where are you? Cameron is a seventh grader from Eureka Middle School. Um, and last week, he kind of shared a little bit about a homework assignment he got for class and how uh, a teacher had asked them to do something extra in the community. Well, Cameron kind of wanted to update you on that. They did a Euchre Night fundraiser last night, right? And so Cameron's going to give you some details as to what went down at Euchre last night. Uh, first, I just want to say thank you for anybody that came out to the Euchre tournament. And it was a big success. We raised $800 for Village of Hope's computers. And um, I know some people couldn't come out, and they still wanted to donate, so this purple jar will be back there at Guest Connections. And um, if you're going to write a check, write it out to Crosspoint, and in the memo line, put Village of Hope. And that's, that's it. What I, what I love about that is... Oftentimes, I think, I think we, um, especially when we're younger, we use this excuse as if our age prevents us from doing anything that matters. And what I love, love, I love Cameron, as well as many other middle schoolers in the community who've been challenged by a teacher to do something extra. What I love is them taking the initiative and doing it. And, and, and if I can be honest, it puts me to shame to see uh, Cameron and some of these middle school students just boldly uh, do incredible things, uh, not just for the community, but seeing it impact others like the Village of Hope down in Guatemala as we raise money for computers down there. So um, again, we're going to be in Galatians 5 this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking about the flesh and the spirit. And uh, to be honest, for me, as I kind of begin to wrestle with this passage, the, the, the flesh and the spirit is like this concept that gets thrown around church world all the time. We hear flesh, and we're like, what in the world is flesh? Is that like, like food? Like nobody actually uses the term flesh in like average conversation, right? Like we, we just don't talk like that. And then spirit, and, and like what are these, how are they the same? How are they different? What's going on here? And Paul really, really gives us um, a great picture of the tension between the flesh and the spirit in Galatians 5. But I want to ask you something. What controls you? What controls you? What is it um, in you that motivates you to do the things that you do? What is it that, that, that causes you to love the things that you love, to, to dislike the things that you dislike? What controls you? What is that, what is that moving factor? And if we're honest, here's the deal. Like when, when we're asked like what controls us, that question's unsettling. And the reason why that question, question is unsettling is like, I, if you're anything like me, I don't like to be controlled. Um, my uh, parents are here today. They're visiting from North Carolina. You can ask them as a kid. I had a huge problem with authority. Um, and so control is, is it's not um, something I particularly enjoy. Um, and I know as human beings, authority is something that kind of challenges us a little bit. We don't like the aspect of thinking we're out of control. 
And so something controlling us, something outside of ourselves or inside of us influencing the things that we do, it's a little unsettling. It brushes up against our love for our autonomy, right? Our ability to make real choices in real time that affect a real life. But what if I told you that you're, you're not as free as you think it is, right? We love our free will. We love our autonomy. We love our ability to make choices. Would it bother you if I said that your, your freedom to make choices is not as free as you actually think it is? You see, we love our, our freedom to choose, but what if our, 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 our nature is bound? You see, free will is this, this topic that gets kind of thrown around. People in church argue about it. It's a little ridiculous in my opinion. We don't need to argue about these things. But um, I, think, I think free will is a concept that we very much misunderstand. And the reason why is because if I genuinely had free will, the, the, the ability to choose with, with nothing controlling my nature or compelling me to choose in a certain way, I could go up on this building, right? And this is going to sound a little silly, but I could, I could, because of my freedom to choose, I could choose to jump off the building thinking that I'm going to fly. And if I had free will, I could will my way to fly away. Now, that sounds silly, right? Because I'm limited in my physical nature to sprout wings and fly away, right? But just as our physical nature is limited, our immaterial nature, our internal nature is limited, it's bound. And Scripture talks about that a little bit in Romans 6. Listen uh, to this passage from Romans 6, 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, so either we're slaves of sin, compelled towards sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So we can present ourselves as either slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness. This is what, what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about, there's no neutral ground here. It's one or the other. But look at this in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. There is something that controls you. Either we, as human beings, are enslaved to our sin nature, we're bound by our sin nature, right? This is what happened at the fall of man. Sin, sin came in, human beings were corrupted, and we were now have this forever bent toward destruction, toward rebellion against God. This is why I don't have to teach my toddler how to misbehave, because my toddler is affected by his sin nature. You see, he's bound by his nature, and so my child is compelled toward rebellion. When I say, Leon, don't go over here. Well, what's he doing? He goes over there. I don't have to teach my son how to rebel against the authority of his parents. He just does it naturally. Why? Because his nature is bound it's my job as a parent to compel that nature to be changed. One, to pray for him, that God would save him, and that he would have his internal nature rewritten so that he's following Jesus. But also as a, as a, as a parent, to help coerce him and say, hey, buddy, you can't do this. You have, to, you have to do this. We're controlled by something. This is, this is why like, the significance of the cross the significance of the gospel is amplified when we see how it affects our internal nature, as we see how it, it, it impacts and connects with our will and our desires. Because if we see our will and our desires, the internal man, as a slave to sin, then the power of the cro cross is exploded. We see 
just how great we are affected by the gospel because it changes the inner man so that we're no longer compelled to follow sin and death. We're now compelled to follow Jesus. In Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul says, it is for freedom that you've been set free. So why would you go back to the yoke of slavery? Christ has set you free. Christ has set you free from sin. Christ has set you free from death. Why, why would you go back to that? You see, our nature has changed. For those of us in here who are in Christ, our nature has been completely changed. Sin nature is obliterated in us. The power of sin over us is dead. We're no longer bound by sin. We're no longer a slave to sin. We're set free in Jesus. We're no longer controlled by sin. We now have the ability to be controlled by the Spirit. And so I frame this question for you. And just what I want you to be thinking about as I'm talking today is, like, man, what is it, what is it that's, that's controlling me? Is it the desires of the flesh, your sin nature, or is it the desires of the Spirit? And in Galatians 5, Paul is pleading with the church in Galatia to the people there to be controlled by the Spirit, to be a people that are under the influence, under the control of God's Spirit. So let's pick it up in verse 16 in chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul is speaking to Christians here who have been deceived. They've been deceived into believing that, that their holiness, their, their ability to become more like Jesus, their ability to become more righteous, more obedient to the things that God has called them to, that their holiness will be increased due to outward obedience to the law of Moses written in the Torah and the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, the 614 commands in the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament. If we obey those, if we uphold those, if we in our physical acts of obedience keep these laws, we will reach an upper echelon of holiness, meaning we, we, will, we will become more and more and more holy. We will get to the next level in our Christianity if we obey these laws. Paul says no. No, it's not to obedience to those things. It's our obedience increases the more we are, depend on God and depend on the Spirit. It's not external religious activity. It's not circumcision. It's not a kosher diet. It's not obedience to the Sabbath. It's dependence on the Spirit of God to lead us in a life of righteousness because those who are led by the Spirit are not under the oppression of that law. Because we're no longer compelled by the written letter, we're compelled by the Spirit of God that's been indwelt in us, transforming our nature. And Paul refutes this with passion. 
Um, I love the Bible. The Bible is just a very authentic book. Um, we can't see it because it's, it's written, it's typed out for us. We have an English translation from the Greek written 2,000 years ago. But I love uh, verse 11 in chapter 6. Paul says, see with what large re- letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Like He's like, exclamation point, caps lock. Like I- I'm being serious. Paul is passionately refuting this. this is, Galatians is actually one of the most passionate pleas of Paul in the entire New Testament. Because this is an issue, this deception that these people are falling under. It bothered him. It was unsettling to him. Life is not found in physical religious ritual. It is found by living controlled by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, right? We kind of hear these words thrown around a lot, and we see them in Scripture, but often these words get misinterpreted for some sort of ecstatic emotional experience. This isn't talking about an ecstatic emotional experience. It's not talking about an event. Walk by the Spirit is a way of life dependent on the Spirit. Live by the Spirit is a way of life dependent on the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is a way of life dependent on the Spirit. This isn't charismatic experience. This is a life devoted to being controlled by God's Spirit, compelling us to live and do the things that we do in obedience to that Spirit. Look, we miss the promise of verse 16 if we reduce walking by the Spirit to an event that happens at one period of time. It says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Christian, you have a choice. You now, your, your will that was once bound has now been set free in Christ. You have a choice. You can now choose to live by the Spirit, or you can choose to keep going back, keep being bound by the flesh. And so if we have a choice, let me ask you this. Why do we keep going back to what initially held us captive? In God's word, in this passage, he's promised victory for those who rely on the Spirit. As we walk by the Spirit, we are promised that we will not seek to gratify the desires of the flesh. We will not carry the desires of the flesh to their designed end because we've been set free from that oppression by the Spirit of God. We no longer are controlled by the flesh. We're controlled by the Spirit. We're not bound to that nature anymore. And here's the deal. And if you're in Christ in here, you know this. The desires of the flesh, they don't disappear, do they? Right? Like, I'm not perfect just because I'm saved. Just because I have the Spirit doesn't mean the flesh is is completely gone. You see, the flesh no longer has power over me, but the flesh is still present. I just now have the freedom to not give it the attention that I used to. We're not perfect in Christ. We are being perfected. You see, the moment that a person is saved, something happens. It's called justification. A person is declared righteous before God. I'm no longer guilty before God the moment that I come to faith in Christ. But that righteousness that I receive, I then grow into. And so I spend the rest of my life as a Christ follower growing into the righteousness that God has declared me to be. I become sanctified. I become like Jesus. And this is a process. We're being perfected. And that process is perfected when Christ returns, which is why the Christian longs for the return of Jesus, because that is when we become like Christ, co-heirs with Christ, receiving all the benefits of the kingdom of God just like Jesus had, receiving the resurrection just like Jesus had, And so we long for that perfect state where where our bodies are no longer in turmoil between the flesh and the spirit. 
But God promises, look at this, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What I see here is progress. You see, if we live by the Spirit, we will grow more and more and more and more to be like Jesus. We will make progress. We will make progress. This is, I'm not the same that I was when I came to Christ six years ago. That's good news. When I got saved, I was a jerk. Sometimes I'm still a jerk. But by God's grace, I'm not the same jerk. Amen? I'm less angry than I was when I came to Christ. I'm less prone to pop off at Sarah when she gets mad at me. This is because of the work of the Spirit gradually stripping away my affections for sin and giving me holy affections for God. Can't you see this in your life? Think about it. Think about your own walk with Jesus. Are you making progress? That progress is a promised gift from God. Thank Him for it. It's good news. We're being made more and more into the image of likeness and uh, into the image and likeness of Jesus. This is awesome. The power of sin and death is obliterated, and we as God's people get to experience progress. He who has begun a good work in you, Christian, will bring it about to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. But the Christian experience is war. It's fighting daily, contending for the faith, growing in holiness, right? I have tension in the Spirit because the flesh is there and the Spirit is there. There's war. I need to fight to see my affections for God awakened and the affections of the flesh killed. Pleading with God to strip away the love that I have for myself and replace it with a a love for Christ supremely above all things. And yet, in this fight, in this turmoil, the grace of God is amplified. And the grace of God is amplified because if we rely on the Spirit, if we depend on the Spirit, we will win. We will experience progress. Are you coming in here tired this morning? Weary? Maybe sin has beaten you. Maybe the world has beaten you. Maybe the devil has beaten you. You're tired. You have a sin in your life that you just keep struggling with. It just keeps knocking you down. You go two or three weeks and then it knocks you down. And then you go a month and then it knocks you down. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe you want to serve your wife. But every time you come home, you're, you're, you're fighting to do that. You're fighting to be a godly husband, a godly father, a godly wife, a godly mother, a godly son, a godly daughter. But everything in this world just keeps fighting against you. Are you tired? Be encouraged by the Word. The Word says you will experience progress. Walk by the Spirit. Depend on the Spirit. Rely on the Spirit. Lay yourself at the foot of the cross this morning and say, God, I need you. I'm tired. And He promises to help abundantly. You will make progress. Obedience is possible. Jesus Christ has bought your ability to obey by relying on the Spirit. And Jesus Christ enables you to obey as you rely on the Spirit. But again, you'll you'll experience tension, right? The Christian life, there is tension. You see, the flesh and the Spirit are in militant hostility to one another. They cannot coincide with each other, right? Verse 17 
The flesh is against the spirit. The spirit's against the flesh to keep you from doing what you want to do. What that means is, if I'm relying on the spirit, the flesh is right there with me. Tension. If I'm relying on the flesh, the spirit creates tension. There's, there's tension there. These two are in militant hostility to one another. And we get a picture for that hostility the more that we read. Let's pick it up in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see the contrast between the first list of qualities and the second list of qualities? That's the difference, the radical difference between a life in the flesh and a life in the spirit. All of those qualities are at odds with one another, right? We could go through and we can break down what each of these things are, but um, you don't want me to do that because we'll be here for like the next six hours if we do that. And so, but what I want you to do, I want you to see these lists in great contrast with one another. Life in the flesh looks like this. Life in the spirit looks like this. If I rely on and trust in my flesh, this is what will come of it. If I rely on and trust in the spirit, this is what's going to come, in, come of it. If you're not in Christ in here, the Bible says you're a slave to sin, which means the first list characterizes your life apart from Jesus. It characterizes my life apart from Jesus. It reminds me of my desperate need for the gospel because without the gospel, I, ha I don't have access to the second list. I don't have access to the things of the Spirit because I need God's power to work those things out in me. Here's the deal. When we recognize, when we recognize our need for Christ, when we recognize our rebellion against God, Right? We recognize our need for Christ. We, 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 we get saved. Christ comes in. We, we're confronted with the person of Jesus. Now, here's the secret to the Christian faith. Here's the secret to this tension between the flesh and the spirit. What are you going to do with Jesus? You see, because the things Jesus said when he walked the earth, you can't dismiss him as a good moral teacher. You can't do that. Because Jesus claimed to be God. And so, what we do with the person of Jesus has everything to do with this. Because either we will see Christ as Lord, supreme of the universe, or we will reject him entirely. Either we will see the hope of the cross and Christ bearing the full weight of my sin and the punishment that that sin creates, or we will reject that gift and bear the full weight of the punishment that we deserve because of what we've done or in our rebellion against God. Either we will, we will trust in, we will see the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus and the guarantee of my cleansing that comes with that, or we will bear the full weight of a guilty verdict before God. What, what we do with the person of Jesus matters. Either we are accepting Christ or we are rejecting Christ. There's no neutrality here. There's no vague, general, like, well, I, I believe some of these things about Jesus, but I, I don't know about this stuff. No, no, no. That, if we don't believe everything that Jesus is and who he says he is, we are rejecting the gospel entirely. And so what we do with the person of Christ matters. 
And what we do with the person of Christ affects us because if we see Jesus as Lord, we have the Spirit of God and we, our will now is set free and we can now follow Jesus in control of the Spirit, relying on the Spirit, trusting in the Spirit. It's complicated, right? It's, it's tension. But it's not complicated because it's dependence. It's God, I need you. God, I want you. Lord, help me. It's hard because it requires humility. Nobody wants to say they're a slave to sin. It makes, it makes me uncomfortable sometimes even saying that. I don't want to admit the fact that my will is bound to what destroys me. And yet it's in admitting that we're bound to what destroys us. It's, it's admitting that. It's seeing that where we're opened up to experience life in Christ, genuine cleansing from the Spirit, where we're declared righteous before God. Look, at some level, we can look at that list and, and we can kind of get lost in the words, but if you look at the list of desires of the flesh, here's, here's where the tension is in this room, is all of us, every single person in this room, because we are human beings, we have a love and affection for the flesh. We love something there. There is something there that has our hearts that we enjoy and the Spirit is at odds with that. And that's where the tension comes from. That's why the Christian life is war. That's why when I wake up in the morning and I, and I get out of my bed, I run to my Bible because I need, I need that. I need to be energized to keep fighting. Every tired sports player needs a coach telling them what to do because if not, they're going to sit down and they're going to give up. We need motivation. We need help. We need one another. We need the Word because it's in these things, it's in these things that we are motivated, reminded, live by the Spirit, depend on the Spirit. I know you're tired. Keep going. Keep fighting. Your fight is not worthless. Your fight is not in vain. 2 Corinthians, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. The tension of a life controlled by the Spirit is evidence of a genuine work at God in you. And so if you're weighed down, if you're weary, be comforted. The tension of the Spirit and the flesh proves that God is working in you. Why? I had no problem with my sin before I knew Jesus. There was no tension because the Spirit wasn't there. The Spirit wasn't there. And so if you're experiencing tension between the Spirit and the flesh, that's evidence that God is in you. And if God is in you, you will experience progress. There's victory. You see the, the grace here. It's amazing. God has promised victory through our tension, but we fight. We fight, and we don't give up because it's not worthless. So you're walking by the Spirit, right? You're experiencing tension in the faith, right? We, we keep going, we keep going. We're, we're trying to get rid or get, get this sin dealt with. So we're praying, we're asking God to work in us in this area. We're walking by the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. We're trying to be controlled by the Spirit. We look at the long line of our life, and we're like, progress is being made. We're thankful for that. This is happening. If that is happening, people will see you. 
people will see it. I promise you they will see it. Look at how Paul starts the list of the works of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, clear. They're clear. Clear as day. We can see them. Which means this, for you and for me, our hypocrisy is much more public than we would like to think it is because the works of the flesh are evident. Our love for sin is more public than we would like to think it is. Especially the people closest to me. They can see my mistakes. They can see my failures. They can see when I'm walking in the flesh. They can see it. That's why families fight. Sarah is the person closest to me, and so she has the most insight into my sanctification. Meaning she could probably tell you the areas that God really needs to work on in me, right? Because she she has that understanding of, of my journey, of where I'm at in my faith. It's visible. But then she also comes up to me, and she does this thing where she'll just kind of like come up, and she'll look at me, and she'll have this certain look on her face, and she's like, how are you doing? And what that means is, it's not, it's not just how are you doing, it means I see a lot of works of the flesh going on. What's going on in your heart, John? What's wrong? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? What's going on? Because the works of the flesh are more public than I would like to think they are. You see, sin works well in isolation, right? We, when we're living in our flesh, when we're living in sin, we like to be isolated. We don't like people to see it. We don't like people to see it. But the lie is thinking that it stays in isolation. It might start in isolation, but it doesn't stay in isolation. It's clearly seen. It's clearly seen. When we moved into our house uh, back in 2016, um, there were a lot of dead things in the yard. They're just dead things. We had, we had trees that were dead in the front yard. We cut them down. We have trees that are dead in the backyard. And um, I, I, I told you, my, my parents are in town. They came yesterday, and they came bearing gifts. It was really cool. Uh, they, I don't know how they fit all these plants in a Nissan, like, Sentra or whatever, but they did. It was incredible. But they, like, pull a tree out of the car, and we plant the tree. They pull bushes out of the car. They're planting bushes. And so it's, it's really, really, really awesome. And Sarah and I were sitting there just like, there were moments during the day where I just looked back, and like my dad helped me build a, a, a play yard that took way too long to build. Man, that thing, it's sweet, like it looks cool, but it's way too complicated for a kid's toy. And it was really cool. We, we, you know, they left um, because they go to bed at like 5 in the afternoon. I'm just kidding. They don't go to bed that early. But, um, but they, they left at probably like 9 or 8 or something like that. And Sarah and I just like stopped and looked at each other and just like, wow, wow. And the reason why is because if you would have drove past my house two days ago, you would have seen a lot of dead. Because what we did over the, over the fall is we took two trees, two dead ash trees, because the emerald ash burrow is lame and it kills everything. Um, we took two dead trees down. Um, some men from our church actually came and helped with that. We're so thankful for that. So we have two dead stumps in the front yard. Okay? We ripped out all of these evergreen bushes all the way around our, our yard. And then like under the evergreen green bush, or under the bushes, like all this like landscaping plastic and like ugly stuff, rocks, right? And so our, our front yard looked very, very less than appealing. It looked very dead. And what, what we saw yesterday was we saw life getting put back into our yard. And it took work, right? Because I'm like digging holes. My stepmom, like a boss, like raking rocks out of the, like just awesome, raking rocks out, we're planting things, we're making sure that I'm showing like the bushy side so it doesn't look weird, but, but it, it required work, and I, I'm like, I'm sore today, 
because I fought to see life put back in my yard. How is your tree this morning? See, we worry about the fruit. We, we, we get in this passage and we look at the fruit of the Spirit and we say, what fruit? Where am I seeing patience in my life? Where am, I seeing, where am I seeing joy? Where am I seeing love? Where am I seeing these things in my life? We worry about the fruit and we forget about the tree. You see, in Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. This is in Matthew 7. He closes this grand expose that he gives the disciples on how to live life in the kingdom with this picture. He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus in Matthew 7 is making the same case that Paul is making in Galatians 5. These things are very visible. Just like the deadness of my yard was very visible, now the the new life in my yard is very, very, very visible. You can see it. You can see progress there. There is physical evidence in our lives, both our actions and our words, pointing to a genuine work of God in us. You see, we worry about the fruit. What am I doing? Am I reading my Bible? Am I praying? Am I caring for my neighbor? but we forget about the tree. You see, if we focus on the tree, if we focus on the core, if we focus on the heart of ourselves, the fruit will take care of itself because God is at work and you will experience progress. If God is at work, there's a good tree. Good fruit will come of that. If God is not at work, there's a bad, bad tree. Works of the flesh. Producing fruit that is selfish, worthless. It's going to die. You see what we do? Paul Tripp uses this analogy of apple nailing. What we like to do in the church, right, especially, you know, like Midwest church, is we like to, you know, we we come to church, we get dressed up, we're here. You might have flawless attendance here. You might give well according to society standards. You might, like, good moral life is, is, is a thing to be touted here. Not like here, but like here. It's like taking, going to Walmart, buying apples, going to my backyard to my dead ash tree and trying to nail good fruit to a dead tree. It's what we do. And this, this, what the Galatians are doing, they're saying, I, we need circumcision, we need kosher diet, we need this, we need that. These things are going to make us more holy. These external activities of the appearance of obedience are going to make me more like Jesus. No. Walk by the Spirit. The fruit will take care of itself. Allow God, watch God, Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. See your fruit, your fruit tree made new. I have an image of this now. Every time I walk in my yard, I see a dead stump and I see a brand new tree with pink flowers on it. It's a baby tree, right? Because I'm not very far in my journey. I've been doing this thing for like six years. I'm like a baby Christian. But over the next 15 years, that thing is going to progress. It's beautiful. God is exposing in us, myself included, where we are lacking in our dependence on the Spirit this morning. There are people in my life who I'm terrified, terrified to share my faith with. If you don't believe me, we can have like a one-on-one conversation. We can go out for coffee or whatever. I'll talk to you about it. Terrified to share my faith with them because I don't know. It's my reliance on the flesh. 
There are areas of my walk with, with Jesus, I'm apathetic and weary. You might not think it up here because I like to wave my arms and I do this, but there are areas in my life where I'm tired. I will give you my journal and you will read page after page after page of lament because I feel this tension. I do. I promise you I feel this tension. I'm not just preaching to you this morning. I'm preaching to myself. I need this. I need to hear promises like you will make progress. Not to pat myself on the back, but to encourage me to keep fighting. I need to be reminded that the Christian life has tension. Not to give myself an excuse to go into sin, but to encourage me to keep fighting. I have to hear that, that you see my, my progress. I have to hear that you see evidence of the flesh at work in me or evidence of the spirit at work in me. Not to let my righteousness be seen before men, but to encourage me to keep fighting. We need to hear what Paul says so that we can keep fighting in our dependence on the spirit. Not in our works of religious ritualism, but our dependence on the spirit of God to do the work of God in us so that we can be the people of God here. The worship team could come up. The great irony of Scripture is shown in the closing verses uh, of this text this morning, starting in verse 24. It says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If you live by the Spirit, you will find life, true life. Jesus says, come to me all who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, in saying this, he places a burden on your shoulders. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give my rest. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke is this device that would have attached weight to an oxen's shoulders. And so there's a yoke to Jesus. There's a burden to Jesus. This same Jesus said, take up your cross. Take up your instrument of torture and humiliation. Take up your cross, disciple, and follow me. You see, there's a burden placed on the believer who's in Christ. But the irony is, is this burden gives us rest. This burden gives us rest. If you and I want to follow Christ, if we want to experience life, the flesh has to be crucified. We have to die. We have to die. You die in order to find life in the power of the resurrected Spirit, spirit of God. And so cross point this morning, let's die together so that we can be raised to new life in Christ for his glory, and for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, your mercy, your spirit, your power. God, just make these things more evident to us. Make them more clear so that we can follow you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's in Jesus' name we pray. As Paul's closing his letter to the Galatian church, he says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Crosspoint, let's not do, be weary in doing good. The harvest is ripe. You guys have a good week.